0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we have a very special edition of the pod today. I know we've been ripping through team previews, basically the better part of the last month. We're continuing we continue to do so into early July, but as we talked about with all these previews, there's a lot of unknown there, specifically with the injuries going on that seems to impact every single team and some of the players we're currently looking at drafting. Let's face it, I'm not a doctor. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably aren't. Maybe if you are, maybe you are. Like, that's dope. It's a great job. You're probably making bank. Like, that's awesome if you're a doctor listening to this, but I'm not. And because of that, I like to bring actual doctors on to try to tell us what's actually going on with some of these injured guys. So if you've been a fan of the podcast, you've heard them before. Doctor of physical therapy. The man works for the Minnesota Twins and in his spare time happens to give some of the best fantasy analysis out there over with the fine folks at Fantasy Points. None other than Dr. Evan Porras at FB Injury Doc on Twitter. As you surely know, make sure you check out his new newsletter, NFL Injury Updates. I'm a recent subscriber. It is very much free and it's pretty great, Edwin. So thanks for coming on, man. And thanks for just being you because seriously, man, put out some of the best content out there in terms of injury analysis. Great day to be great, man. I appreciate you having me, man. This is nice. Um, I told you that
1: I wanted Dwayne on, and <laughs> I needed to ask him a few questions. I might ask you. We can get to that. But I really appreciate that that introduction. It's nice. It's nice to be here. Nice to unplug, talk some fantasy, some some relatively lower stakes stuff, right? I know a lot of people still put some money down. I, I get that. You're probably <laughs> one of them. And you know, I see a couple championship belts back behind you. Um, but I do know that we're going to hit on a lot of hot button topics and understand that I'm just trying to paint some context. I get, man, you get in trouble for the PFF graphics. I get in trouble for stating, this is going to sound douchey, a fact, <laughs> being like, oh, well, hey, like, you know, Cam Akers could actually just be it. Like, this could just be Cam Akers. And people are raging in my mentions, like, how dare you imply that now he's going to be average? It's like, I mean, okay, like, we'll, we'll get to that, Ian. I have a question for you to begin with, though. What's up? A... You drank a Pacifico that's, that's, that's should be, I don't know. Anything Pacifico is, is fine. Uh, personally I'm a modelo or, or potentially those X. Okay. So that's sort of where I, that's my wheelhouse. Uh, you also had a burrito. I need to know what kind of burrito it was. And my third question. So I guess I had three. I said one question. My third question is why the hell is Dwayne's bookie a girl scout? And why does she make house calls? I get so confused. You guys have been ripping through these team previews. I've been listening (laughs) when you have to make a decision for some reason you've both resorted to saying if there's a Girl Scout that comes knocking on the door I'm very confused I need some explanations is this Girl Scout beating your kneecaps when you don't pay up I just need a lot of explanations man.
0: okay let's start with the Girl Scout originally when Dwayne and I were doing these podcasts as we've been doing now for a good year and a half we would have a question or was a real you know, real tight start decision I'd be like all right Dwayne gun to your head who are you picking here and he's like geez like Way to really put the pressure on there, man, like getting dark in here. So we're like, okay, let's ease things up a little bit. There's not a gun to your head. So we're like, all right, what if a Girl Scout just comes to your door and asks you this question? But then she pulls out a gun. So it got dark. It got even darker from that point on. But now, instead of using the phrase gun to your head, we're trying to keep things a little bit lighter. And we're implying a Girl Scout walks to your door to ask uh, those questions. So not saying it's the best uh method but we're gonna stick with it for the time being that explains the girl scout thing and i absolutely love cincinnati's finest el toro uh mexican establishment across the street from me i literally go there probably two or three times a week man and i freaking guzzle pacifico because it is fantastic i'm cool with Mandelo too when it's fight night at the heart it's household we got the ufc on i gotta give the sponsor some love give me a good uh or 12 but in addition to that Got the got the burrito, mandra special, steak, no onions. Douse that shit and cheese. I will eat there every single no day. No onion, not an onion guy. N- no, uh, no, no ceballos, right? Isn't that how we're gonna go with it? Ceballos, isn't that onions in Spanish? Cebolla. Ah, cebolla. See, that's close, probably why. That's why. I, that's why they look at me like I'm a jackass every time I say that. I'm sure. So I'll uh, I'll work on that <laughs> pronunciation. And you go it that sometimes okay you, like you, uh, you do you do look at your front on the screen but I'm, i know that you go up there and say
1: sabalas that's okay <laughs> Hey, you're trying and they, they eventually they get it right like they they, they get what you're saying
0: i've had yeah, okay I, bro i go there so much i have the bartender just look at me and he goes like big one and i'm like yep you know me you got this but <laughs> you love those uh, relationships you love that okay evan as much as i could talk to you about beer and mexican food for the next hour let's take advantage of this and find out some goodness with these injuries here. Because again, it's just one podcast after another where we're almost forced to like, Just kind of guess what's going on. Happy to have you here, man. So I want to go through quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. You know, we do have some bigger uh, picture topics to go through, but feel free to be brief when we're talking about guys with the same injuries. So first off, man, let's talk about Jameis Winston and the ACL. Low-key had himself a pretty damn nice season last year. Now, it was an offense that was not letting him really, you know, be the Jameis that we saw in 2019, most run-heavy group while he was under center. But Edwin, he comes back, The Saints have committed to him. He is a starting quarterback. There was some talk about him being in the brace in practice. I want to say there was reports saying limping around. How much of a concern is his comeback from the ACL? Is that just normal recovery? What are your overall thoughts on Jameis just being back to himself by week one?
1: No, you know, there aren't a lot of, uh, unless he has a setback. There aren't a lot of concerns for Jameis, especially since we know he's not necessarily Josh Gordon out there. He's not fast. Uh, He's not a guy that's going to take off and run every single time. I know maybe he's got a little bit of that uh, every now and then. But when it comes to every NFL study ever done, and if I were good, I would know it off the top of my head, but I'm not that good. And there is a big systematic review. Uh, There are actually a couple at this point that show, and other people have validated, ACL injuries do not impact quarterbacks in a negative way. Hmm. That's just from like the last 30, 40 years we've taken, we've looked at every performance metric, which probably will translate to fantasy points. And there aren't really very many variables that you can look at to say that are negatively impacted. When you look at his timeline specifically, he had the surgery uh, the week of November 11th, 2021. And that would put him approximately a full cleared, full return by mid August, if not probably by week one. Uh, you have to remember that these quarterbacks can come back a lot sooner because it's a lot more of a cerebral position than it is a – physical you know agility you're of course not going to let a quarterback come back go back without doing return to sport testing and getting them to where they need to be but in terms of Jameis specifically he'll have enough time and unless he has a setback he should be ready the brace that he was running in around i mean at that time i think he was like six or seven months or something i don't really like i'd have to go back and do the math but when he was in that brace like that was that was to be expected dudes will wear joe burrow was wearing a brace last june too um everybody sort of made a big deal about it it's it's not a big deal um, and that's, this is the other thing where people will rage in my mentions about Ian. It's like, I'm like, no, like this is normal. Right. And, but then people like want something to panic about. So it's kind of a weird thing. I don't think you should worry about Jameis. I do think he's going to be back by week one and barring a setback or something that we don't know about.
0: Especially, I think that first point you made, we're like, he's never been a quarterback. That's just completely relying on his mobility play in and play out. So would like to hope that he'll be fine. Sounds like that things are moving firmly in that direction, sticking at the quarterback position. Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. These are two guys coming back from Baker's got the labrum. Jimmy's got the shoulder. Who knows what team they're going to be on by the time week one comes around. I think a Baker's case, especially though, like we aren't giving enough credit to the fact that he played through that and a laundry list of other injuries, man. I know everyone just wants to hate Baker and Carson Wentz these days and, You know, if that's your thing, then go ahead. But I do wonder with guys like Baker, like Zeke, some of these other guys that we saw unsuccessfully play through their injuries. Like, if Baker just stopped playing after he tore his labrum in week two, like, our most recent sample size would have been a good 10 games of him, like, playing great football. Like, 2020 happened, people. We can't just ignore that for Baker. Same thing with uh, the back half of 2018. So, how – because I know, I believe it was to his left shoulder. So it wasn't the throwing shoulder, but how serious was that injury for Baker? And then moving on to the shoulder with Jimmy, like how, how different are their, I guess, return to play timelines?
1: Yeah. So I think Jimmy had surgery roughly March, right? Am I, if I'm not mistaken? I think the first week of March, roughly, is when he had surgery. So I think that, and you asked about Baker first, so we'll get to him. His surgery to basically tighten up his capsule from you know i'm operating based off of what i remember that injury being of his left non-throwing shoulder mm-hmm. it's not something to scoff at but once you get it repaired it shouldn't necessarily impact him again essentially what happens and we'll get to t higgins a very similar thing happened to baker mayfield that happened to t higgins so they basically went in they sewed it down they made sure everything was tight so that it wouldn't continue to re-dislocate And he should be fine moving forward as long as he doesn't have another super awkward collision the way that he did when he landed with his whole arm outstretched. I think that the one thing Baker Mayfield doesn't get a lot of credit for, and trust me, I'm not by any means like a Baker stand. I think I'm neutral at the – really, if I had to say, I'm neutral about Baker. The one thing that people do think they discredit a little much is is how he played through that injury. Um, I've seen a lot of people, athletes – play through a shoulder instability and to them they just get to the point where like oh yeah it's fine I'm just gonna play through this that's brutal man like you're there are instances that that shoulder probably came out well he was rolling over in bed like that's that's how bad that that shoulder was I know he played in the sling and the brace but that thing was not pinned down at all so just imagine psychologically even if not physically taking a snap getting under center and being chased by freaking you know, whoever it is, Davion Clowney, right? Thinking to myself, well, this might be it. My arm might actually fall off this time. (laughs) Like that is a huge psychological effect that anybody, and I just don't think it's fair to judge Baker off of last year. I think that it's a null and void season for him, but when he, he should be back by week one, This shouldn't necessarily follow him. You can never say never with the shoulder instabilities, but that, that shouldn't necessarily be an issue for him. Uh, Moving on to Jimmy, unless you wanted to talk about Baker.
0: No, I mean, I, I just echoing again, I played low-level D3 football. I've never it never once in my life been in a game as competitive as Baker has a million times. But I will say separating my shoulder in high school was the most painful injury I've had. Man, I remember waking up the next day, had, needed to get my mom up to help me put my contacts in because I couldn't raise my arm like above my freaking shoulder. And just like to your point, like there were a couple times playing through the injury when like it popped out again. And dude, like your entire arm goes numb for like – minutes on end and just that's so called nerve damage oh man so yes <laughs> I, I just you know the thing with baker and i had a i sent out some like chase i was praising chase claypool the other day and someone's like manny and you pick some weird ass players to really latch your uh to you know uh support or whatever i hate when players like baker like wentz like Chase Claypool all of a sudden become everyone's like public enemy. Number one, when what's really the problem with them, a little bit of immaturity, potentially, you know, maybe I understand we have once and maybe some uh, vaccine stuff going on there. And okay. If you have an opinion on that, so be it and everything, but man, I just think there are such bad people out there. And some of the hoops, we have to jump through the V hating on these guys. Like really, Baker, Wentz, Claypool, these are the guys in the NFL that you want to be pointing your negative energy towards. So, miss me with that. But, no, it's good to hear that. That really was impacting Baker. Also had the knee strain in November. Like, it was one of those things I'm pretty sure Roto World sent the blurb out uh, several times, NBC Sports Edge Now, where it was like, Baker Mayfield, parentheses, everything, limited at practice again on yeah, Thursday. Yeah, so, rough. you know. NFL's much uh, NFL's a better product with as many great quarterbacks as possible. Hopefully Baker gets back there. Now on to Jimmy G. Jimmy G
1: sounds like it was the same type of surgery. So I cannot, if I'm anything, Ian, I've tried to be more consistent in my stances. When it comes to play and performance on the field, I've been pulling my hair out about Jimmy Garoppolo. I am close to the bay. I, I live close to the bay. Um People aren't necessarily a fan of Jimmy either, but it's it's really justified, I think, just because of his play and how he, you know, just doesn't really show up when you need him to. He does fine. He's the ultimate Shanahan system guy that can pull off some good throws every now and then. And I think that he's just been so overrated. I'm totally going off the rails here. I know we're (laughs) supposed to be talking about a shoulder. So that is all to preface, though. So here to be consistent and with what I just said with Baker. This was his throwing shoulder so he had the same type of procedure uh to his capsule whether it was a debridement like they took bone spurs out or they actually went up and and cinched it up like they did with baker i'm not entirely certain but i know that it was something that was bothering him probably throughout the entire season so if i'm going to judge bay if i say you can't judge baker you probably can't judge jimmy from 2021 either so this is something that you do want to monitor a little bit more. Once he gets back to throwing, they're going to have to really space it out. This is typically an injury surgery. If it's uh, a cinching down like Baker's, it's between five, sometimes six months, probably closer to six for a quarterback. So he's really going to be cutting it close if he's going to sign, you know, either what I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to, you know, San Francisco, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe you have a better feel for that. But I, I do think this is something that you want to semi keep on your radar, especially if I think at this point, he's like a dart throw anyway, right? Like two quarterback league dart throws. So I don't think there's a lot to necessarily discuss there.
0: We've talked about the 49ers, you know, quote unquote quarterback competition, but just every single thing has continued to lean towards Trey Lance. And honestly, like, I think there's something to be said that Lance didn't get that opportunity last year because of the injuries he happened to be dealing with at that time. So now nah, just with Jimmy, it was more so. What, when he could potentially be back? It sounds like week one is realistic. We'll see uh, what team is actually going to be that. So, moving on to running back, I want to talk first just about some of these running backs in general, man, because nothing pisses me off more than when I, you know, have a quote tweet go out or a ranking or something in the public's just responses no he'll get hurt so you can't draft christian mccaffrey ever man he's on the do not draft list because he'll get hurt and that's the end of the argument but i want to see what sort of research if any you have on aging running backs or a potential touch cliff so guys like eckler henry zeke saquon Christian McCaffrey guys that have suffered injuries, but maybe aren't necessarily more injury prone than the average running back. Who's also going to see, you know, 300 plus touches into the teeth of a defense on any given, you know, during any given season. So overall thoughts on the age cliff, the touch cliff, and some of these running backs.
1: So this is a really good question. And it's a, it's a conversation that requires a lot more nuance than people I think want to have, or maybe don't have the, 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 bandwidth to have, their bottom line tends to be what appears to either be an age cliff or what appears to be an aging process, right? And you can't really, a lot of times decipher, which is, which, if you look at some of the research done by another physical therapist in the fantasy space, Adam Hutchison, he's really good. Uh, he puts out a lot of good stuff. He basically buckets them into satellite backs, true bell cows, and sort of like hybrid type of backs, right? Something, somebody like a Dalvin cook or like a Christian McCaffrey, okay. those type of backs don't tend to see the touch cliff because they maintain their efficiency through the air, the older bruising Derrick Henry back types, what appears to be an age cliff, or, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. An age cliff for them or a touch, a touch cliff really is closer to just being an age cliff, right? So that then, so the question becomes why? Well, because NFL defenses don't get any older every year and a starting running back does get older every year. It's insane to say like a 28, 29 year old, you know, elite athlete is, is aging, but it happens, man. Like yeah. when you got, we got, you know, a fresh, a fresh class of defensive ends that are insane that are, you know, coming in every year. Like I said, you're going to slow, you're going to appear what appears to slow down. So if you look at Derrick Henry, I think Dwayne's actually mentioned this. Derrick Henry's, his yards after contact, right? His like elusive runs or whatever, those have slowly started to trickle down. And what's kept him up above that elite sort of threshold has been the pure sheer volume. Is his Jones fracture due to all the touches that he's had? That's hard for anybody to really say. Uh, Is it due to his frame? I'd be more likely to concede to that. So backs like Henry... It might coincide with a specific amount of touches, but it's usually a lot more nuanced than that. Like, you know, how many touches has Christian McCaffrey had? And do we expect him to fall off if we don't talk about the injuries? Like, not necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. So that touch rule is very, very nuanced. And I think it can get a little dangerous if you just apply it blanketly. So that's what I have to say first. And then when it comes to, like, missing games in general for running backs, you have to consider – the amount of games missed. So I'm going to try to, this is really hard to follow a podcast. So I'm going to try to explain it as best as I can from 2016 to 2019. I looked at top and this is a points per game finishes Mm -hmm. the top running backs, top 12 versus the top 12 receivers and how many games were missed came to wide receivers. 50% of top 12 wide receivers in the span missed zero games. The same span span for running backs, 33.3% of running backs, top 12 running backs, missed zero games. When it came to missing uh, one game, top running backs and top wide receivers both missed 23%. When it came to missing two games, they both missed 13%. Now, when you get to the missing three or four games, wide receivers accounted for only the top 12 wide receivers, they were only like 7% whereas there were 13% of running backs who missed three to four games. So okay. basically what that data is, is saying or showing us is that when it comes to that three to four game mark, there are more wide receivers, or I'm sorry, there are more running backs that miss more, uh, you know, three to four games and there are wide receivers. And then there are more running backs who don't miss zero games, if that makes sense. So yeah. I don't know if that made any sense. Basically what I'm saying is a lot of times, I think this is overstated like top running backs versus top wide receivers wider res- top wide receivers are less likely to get injured but they also are injured uh, almost as frequently right like the numbers are a lot closer than they appear to be so that was a long-winded answer what did you get <laughs> did that make any sense
0: no i i think it did man uh, so one touch study that we've been hanging our hat on and we had uh, a page seth on the podcast doing great work he's uh, with a with pff intern great stuff university of michigan and some of the regression analysis he was able to show is that 1,500 professional carries. Usually what we would see is that the performance in terms of rushing yards above expectation starts to fall off, which to your point about Derrick Henry, like we are starting to see that already. And right now it's Henry, Zeke, and Melvin Gordon are the three running backs with that amount. But he wasn't necessarily implying that they're not good fantasy producers. And that's, my, and that's basically my argument with Derrick Henry. Like if Derrick Henry... Like, all right, would you consider Derrick Henry just straight up more injury-prone than Austin Eckler? Because my analysis, not being a doctor, is that he's not. All these running backs that are getting a little bit older are injury-prone. I admit that the best years of Henry's career are behind him, but I also think that if Derrick Henry plays 17 games, he's going to have over 400 touches, and I don't care if he's averaging four yards per carry or six yards per carry. He's going to be an RB1 with that. So Eckler, Henry, Zeke, Saquon, just straight up. Are any of those guys more quote unquote injury prone than each other? I wouldn't necessarily say that.
1: Um, I think that when it comes to performance versus injury, like you have to really bucket those. And that's what my fantasy points tiers over at fantasypoints.com that I put out every summer. That's what I try mm-hmm. to encapsulate is performance and injury. I try to project: is this is this dude going to fall off versus is it does this dude have a specific significant injury history that might repeat itself and the answer when it comes to those guys is relatively speaking they all have a very it's it's a diverse injury history but it's an injury history nonetheless right so in other words there are they've been a starting nfl running back like they all get injured if i had to hang my hat on what might happen again or who might have a, a specific injury it unfortunately would be henry and again i don't have a lot of solid proof simply because of his frame, his size, his aging joints, that he's yeah. just a monster, right? Like there's nobody built like him. But the exact argument against him would be your exact argument, I think, is that he's a monster. Nobody's ever been built like <laughs> him. So if he could take another year of, of a beating, of a pounding, and get 300 carries, then I think that he could put up some numbers. Here's another study too, um, and I really am bad about this. I need to start citing them more often. There's a study done uh, on college running backs in their last year. And Mm -hmm. essentially, if they saw 250 or more carries in their last college uh, year, then they actually averaged, they went on and they they became the group who averaged 300 carries per year in the NFL. And so what you see is, if you see a lot of volume in college, that is probably implying that you are already durable. So you're going to see a lot of touches when it comes to the NFL. Um, and maybe I really butchered like that explanation that I gave about like the running backs and wide receivers. Basically, what you need to know is uh, I have a little bit more digestible data here. Right. Same time span, same little study that I did. Wide receivers miss an average of one point four games. They miss a median of zero games and they miss a mode of zero games. So that's key. Right. Yeah. Now, their average is one point four and their standard deviation is two point six. Let's go to running backs. The average amount of time missed for running back is two. The median is one. The mode is actually also zero. So the most frequently amount of time missed for running backs wide receivers is zero for both of them. And running backs have a mean of two missed games with a standard deviation of 2.6. So even though the average is lower for wide receivers, they have almost a mirror image standard deviation. All of that, I think, encapsulates what I was trying to say, is that the edge you think you're getting by trying to decide which running back might be injured versus which one might fall off the cliff is marginal and good luck trying to guess. Like, that's just really difficult, really difficult to do.
0: So if we use our, you know, was it, 67, 95, 99 rule, the standard deviations off the mean, off the median, um, it sounds like it's only about a difference of like maybe one game on average between the wide receivers and running backs. Like, that's surprising to me because I thought it would have been a lot more
1: exactly and you have to remember too this is the top 12 running backs right but that's sort of what we want right the end result we want that exactly. like these people who ended you know their end result was a top 12 player like what you said, it was, their you said it was
0: per play? game right
1: yes points per game yeah
0: so points yeah so i mean at that point we're not we're not rewarding the players that did make it through and then trying to look back on it cuz i think that's the problem we have with fantasy finishes sometimes or god forbid you know like spare me the freaking the brandon ayuk week 8 and on it's like yeah when he plays three more Bob games from that was it oh. not
1: consensus that we just do that? We don't do uh cumulative totals anymore. How's that not the case? It's
0: now? like okay, for a full season, I'm fine putting in you know, a five or six games played threshold, but come on, people, be better. Okay, Edwin, one guy that I see you tweet about almost every single day, none other than stay calm. Every so, day, man, yeah, it might be every day at this point. Actually, he I'm is rising <laughs> up the ranks where the public wants to or not. I'm I'm old enough to remember about three or four months ago when this dude was a freak outside the top 15, seemingly. Now he's knocking on the door of the top 12, could be back in the first round before we know it. Is there any reason, Edwin, coming off one of the flukiest freaking injuries I've ever seen, which still pains me when he just stepped on, I believe his teammates, the Cowboys freaking ankle sprain. Is there any reason to believe what has happened to Saquon Barkley over the past few years that he is any more injury prone than the other running backs that we've been talking about?
1: Listen, that was a fluke injury, and you'll see other injury analysts who um, a couple in particular who weren't on board with me the year after the ACL who agree with me like he was probably going to smash I was probably wrong, and I don't I try not to like pump that stuff up because I'm wrong plenty. But there there have been you know, other analysts, injury analysts specifically who conceded like, yeah, he was probably going to smash. And he was. He was on his way to smash. he's was playing like 84% of snaps. And then after the ankle injury, he played like 60%. Back-to-back yeah, to
0: back h- back top
1: 10 finishes. It was all coming back together. Back-to-back back to back, like Drake. Here's the thing. Had the ankle injury. It was a lateral ankle sprain. When it happened, I was like, well, you know, average time for lateral ankle sprains. You know, it's like one or two games. Dude ended up missing like another what four games or something like that. So it was a lot more severe than we anticipated. He might have even had a small fracture of the distal fibular head, but I'm not the fibular head. The the media the lateral malleolus is what it's called. Um, just a little bone on the outside of your foot. Okay. That is that doesn't. It's not uncommon. So comes back. Graham Barfield pointed this out. After he came back, he only played like sixty percent of the snaps, man. And there's nothing. And Graham also pointed this out. There's nothing more sad than when it was him and
0: you couldn't gosh, tell the difference Booker. between them. The you couldn't Booker. tell the
1: difference. You'd you'd wait for them to get up off the pile, and you'd go, "No, that was twenty six. Oh yeah, no, that was twenty eight. Wait, no, which one was it? Oh man, dude, Terrible. nothing hurt my <laughs> like. There, that was like a pit in my stomach moment every time it happened. So. No, there's no reason to believe he's any more injury prone than any other running back in the NFL. He's two years removed from this ACL that he was going to smash from anyway. He's had an entire offseason to rehab the lateral ankle sprain. He is a a literal elite athlete from uh, that perspective. Like if I was wrong and I felt the process from last year was wrong, then I would say that I don't think the process was wrong on him. I think the process is exactly what we went through. An elite athlete, high draft capital, and the ability to smash after uh, coming off a relatively isolated ACL. So if we were on board last year, again, going back to what I said about being consistent, I would feel hypocritical if I was all of a sudden out this year. Like, I'm back in now. It's sad to see that he's back in the top 12. I was hoping for, like, a Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Saquon start, man. I saw somebody screenshot that the other day, and it was incredible.
0: All right, Evan. So, I'm not coming here to go over everything we said in the past, but at the, you know, like you're saying being consistent, being willing with the process. How do you feel about James Conner because he is someone that you've talked about over the years and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I believe going to last year like you were you have your tears of injury proneness and Connor, I believe was in the highest because of all these freaking significant injuries. He kept having again and again and again. Now he made it through a season, most of the season until the end where he did not get injured. Are, are you, have you changed your tune on James Connor or do you think last year was probably an exception? That's, that's hard
1: for me to know, man. And I think this is like one specific situation where I don't know. Like, it's really, it comes down to the fact, like, it, I just don't know, right? I tweeted this the other day. So James Conner, yeah, you're right. He's had a, he had a major connective tissue injury last year. It was every, you know, it was five out of the last six. Now it's uh, five out of the last seven, right? So a major connective tissue injury in 2018, average 20 touches, 78% of snaps, played 12 games, 2019, average 15 touches, 52% of snaps, played 10 games. 2020, he had 16 touches, 63% of snaps, 11 games. Then finally last year, averaged 16 touches, 58% of snaps, and 15 games. I mean, he proved me wrong, really. I mean, he hadn't played more than 12 games in, you know, since, honestly, since college. Yeah. And last year, he bucked that trend. I can go one of two ways. I can either say that was a fluke, or I can say I think that he's finally overcome, you know, this, this injury issue. And if I want to stay consistent, I can really say that I will tentatively trust him since he's done it before. Usually, you know, if you're going to be off on a guy like this would have been the year to be off of him, you know, if he would have had a down 2021, 20, but he played 15 games. So I I will say tentatively, I trust him to maybe stay and play, you know, 12 to, to 16 games, but I'm still like, I don't feel great about it. If that makes sense. Like I, if you go hero RB with James Connor, then like, I will give you my man card, like whatever that is. Like I, I, I my wife would tell you that she has this. So I'll have to ask her for permission to get it <laughs> out of her wallet, but I will literally give you my man card. If you take, and it, whether you're a woman or a man, I will give you my man card. Uh, if you draft James Connor as your hero or anchor RB.
0: It's just one of these things, man, where, If we look at every running back and we just say, "Hey, they're playing 17 games this year; no injuries are going to happen," it's really tough to keep Connor out of the top 10 based on the Kingsbury usage that we've seen over these years, where he runs these guys into the ground more than just about anyone. They just gave him 20 million. They added Daryl freaking Williams in May on a veteran minimum contract. Okay, I understand a lot of you watched Keontae Ingram film in February. They took him in the sixth round, so I don't think he's necessarily the biggest threat to this job as well. So. It's good to hear that. I think where he's going in drafts really outside the top 12, top 13 backs is okay. If Connor was to get into that Fournette Saquon range, that would be the problem. But for now, I do think it's a decent discount off those can guys. Say it, that, Ian, yeah. Can I say it? Yeah.
1: Clearing throat. Clear throat. <laughs> I like him better in best ball.
0: Oh, the running back. <laughs> the running back better in best ball. Wow.
1: I that's like the only category I can honestly place him in. That's just like my that's me saying. I get it. He played a full, almost a full season last year. I just don't love it. I just don't feel good about it.
0: Rashad Penny, someone that's coming to the league, I maintain he's been good the whole time. Unfortunately, has had one knee, calf, hamstring injury after another, really throughout his entire career. Based on what has kind of happened to Rashad Penny in his short career, again, where would you would you give him just a moderate? as injury prone as any other running back in the NFL, or is he someone that, yeah, it probably would make sense to maybe knock down a few ranks because of all these injuries that he's had.
1: You know, I think that you have to look at Rashad Penny in this window of time where he really honestly dealt with the ACL plus and the ramifications of the ACL plus for a period of like two years, right? Then he comes back, has the calf, has the hamstring. He played, almost, I'm relatively certain he played more than 90% of games in college. And I cite that often because college uh, availability predicts or precludes NFL availability. So that was important for him. Uh, And he did come back. And I think some of the hamstring, soft tissue stuff is workload related, Um, less worried than with Connor, but I understand a little bit of hesitance with him. If he can get through the first four weeks of the season, for example, and manage that the up the uptick and load and manage the uptick in work that he's going to get and show that he can stay on the field and prevent these soft tissue injuries. And Seattle's pretty cutting edge with a lot of their rehab performance stuff. So hopefully they, you know, have addressed that or as best as they can. I'm sure they have. So I'm, I'm in on Rashad Penny. I think I don't even know what's his ADP
0: bro. He's going like RB 37, RB 40 ish. Easy. 40-ish. easy. Yeah. Here's the thing too. And I want to get your
1: take on this. I rumor has it rumor has it that Kenneth Walker doesn't even know that footballs can fly in the air. Cause he's never caught one. <laughs> I like, I don't like, I don't know if he's going to all of a sudden like watch film and learn um, if they're going to like teach him how to catch. I don't know if he's played catch yet. Maybe he's played catch with, with uh, who's even, Oh my God. Who's in Seattle. Drew Loc- Oh, your boy drew Locke. Like, yeah, I don't know, but like rumor has it that he doesn't actually know that it's possible to throw the ball in an NFL game. Can you confirm or deny? And like, how will that impact his, his, uh, his receiving game?
0: I tend to think while we do get the occasional Ronald Jones exception to the rule, like I think professional NFL running backs are capable of catching checkdowns and swings. Now, when we start to look at the McCaffrey's the Ecklers of the world, yes, there is a big, you know, discernible difference between the guys, but with Walker, it's just one of those things. And we see it like, Jonathan Taylor, some of these Wisconsin running backs to The Big Ten teams, they're in eye formation to have you run downhill, not to, you know, move you out into the slot and pepper you with targets. But the problem is that, you know, whether it's Walker, whether it's Penny, Seattle just as a – general rule hasn't been throwing to their running backs. Now, maybe that was more of a rust thing, but the problem was like, we just didn't even find out if Penny could do it a bunch. Cause of course we got to get Travis Homer and DJ Dallas some touches out there. So I I think Walker is capable enough, but the problem with him and Penny, like it's, it's good to hear that we don't have to worry about the injury stuff with Penny doesn't really change the fact that it's looking like Walker's going to take some of that early down role and sorry, people, I think Dallas or Homer are probably going to cut away 20, 25% snaps per game. It's going to be a pain in the ass. And it's an offense where, look, we're not expecting them to be good at all. I would love if they were. And if Drew Lock was a part of that, but we're not expecting <laughs> that obviously. And we can look at the win totals and all that, that back it up. Like there are going to be games, I think, man, where we could look up at the end and be like, how the hell did DJ Dallas outsnap Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny? But they might be stubborn enough to have that pass down running back. But at least our guy Rashad should be healthy enough to keep averaging five plus yards per carry. I know there's other running back stats that we can talk about. He's good in those too. Let's see a full healthy season from Penny for once, one time, everyone. Edwin, we could call this the main event. Let's talk some Achilles injuries. <laughs> Cam Akers, James Robinson. Akers has been at the facility 8 a.m. every day of the whole offseason. He says he's 100%. Talk about, I guess, how his recovery could be different than someone like a James Robinson and what to kind of expect from players in general coming off this Achilles injury.
1: Yeah, I kind of view Cam Akers and Jameson as, unfortunately, going in opposite trajectories. I can't see James Robinson tailing off. I know that he's relatively – he's actually got really good athletic numbers. I mean, He's not the fastest dude in the world. But when it comes to somebody like Cam Akers, we know that he you know, also was an okay athlete, right? He's pretty good, I'd yeah. say. And when you look at return to sport, you look at return to performance, you really have to factor in what was the injury, what was their draft capital, and what was their athleticism prior to the injury. Those things more or less predict, per the research, that the, a player can get back to the level that they were at before. That's at least in ACLs, and it's probably a general rule across the board. Now, the question is, well, maybe not the question, but the point I need to make is an ACL injury is not an Achilles injury. An Achilles tendon injury is disruption of the fibers that connect the your big, giant calf muscles to your ankle and allow you to push off, to like come up onto your tiptoes, to jump cut to do all of the things that you need to do as an NFL running back quickly. When you disrupt those fibers, when you disrupt that tendon, even if you repair it, it's never the same. There, there are some changes that go on in that muscle. It is, it is a part of the soft tissue and an extension of the soft tissue that creates power and force and agility. That is totally different than a ligament, and I promise I'm getting to the point, a <laughs> ligament connects a bone to a bone. So, once you make up for the muscular imbalances in rehab, hamstring and quad, that ligament becomes a native part of the knee. And for the most part, dudes can perform after that. It's not this, it's a static tissue in an ACL versus like a live tissue in an Achilles. So, all of that real
0: quick. So, like, basically, ligaments connect bones, and the Achilles is connecting like. Active muscles and shit. And yes, that's what makes it so exactly. Much
1: okay, exactly. So that is you got it, man. Jeez, you're
0: more, <laughs> more cookie.
1: So moral of the story: Could he come back after you know another three, four months and just train his ass off and maybe get back to where he was before? Yeah, he could. um He's young. He's going to get a leash from the front office, so he could definitely make that that switch. What I said initially when this happened, and I kind of like, I really haven't changed my stance is. Cam Akers could probably get back to like 85, 90% of what we thought his ceiling should be. I think that's if whatever you think Cam Akers was going to be, chop off 10 to 15% of that. That, in my opinion, is a realistic expectation based on the data, based on the pathophysiology, based on what we know about him. And he's, listen, he's going to get the the best opportunity of probably any running back after an Achilles that we've ever seen. So he could prove me wrong. But the bottom line is, there's no data to show that he's going to do it. Like there's nothing that we could say confidently and like, oh, he's going to come back and be a top 12 running back. Um, but I think I heard you and uh, Dwayne talk about this too, is he's going in like the fourth round. Like he's priced at it basically his four. So, I mean, if you can get him in the fourth round, I understand. And to wrap it up, Cam Akers is like, and I know this is going to sound like, maybe harsh, but like, I don't want to shrug off the fact that the dude came back like six months after an Achilles tear. Like that's insane. That's nuts. That's quite literally pretty unprecedented to start in an NFL game. So that's huge. Like as a PT, I'm like, I'm like, that's incredible. Now it's okay for two things to be true at once for me to feel that way. And for me in fantasy to just be like cam Akers, Mm, Nah. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, he's fine. Like he's fine. You get what I'm saying? So like, I think that people really want to like, I think people need to cool the jets a little bit like he is fine i don't think he's going to come back and smash necessarily
0: no that's fair and we are a lot of excuses being made for the schedule it's like all right you know it's i understand he had to deal with you know the buccaneers run d we also have seen other running backs you know notably Khalil herbert earlier in that year be just fine against that bucks run d so he wasn't Wasn't good. He was he was terrible coming back. Like we can just call a spade a spade there and it's a good story. We have this tendency, man, with these good stories, Teddy Bridgewater, Cam Akers, Alex Smith. These guys come back and we just like refuse to say that they're shitty on the football field, probably because it's not like nice, it's not cool um, to do or anything like that. So I'm not saying to all of a sudden, you know, go out there and just start hating on NFL players coming back from major injuries or anything like that. But we can, when we're talking about you know predicting their future performance, be honest with ourselves about it. But I do think the that final point remains about where he's going. Like him and James Conner are being priced with their injury risk. And if they were going as top 10 running backs, I would probably be out on both them as well because we'd be talking about a lot of other running backs that we don't need to have these conversations about. But for the time being, they have superior workloads to guys that are – we're less worried about, you know, just their body falling apart. And that becomes a bigger question. What about James Robinson? The latest report I think we got was that he's expected to be ready midway through training camp. To me, I'm just continuing. And so, and with James Robinson, talk about when you expect him to be ready and if ETN is fully good to go recovering from the list, Frank. I think
1: Etienne is going to be ready to go. He's had plenty of time to recover. He's had plenty plenty of time to to sort of recoup. And the receiving game is really, hopefully, if he gets it, is going to be what keeps him afloat and makes him fantasy relevant. I think any of the risk baked in with Etienne could be uh, baked in in terms of like – not baked in, I'm sorry – any risk with Etienne, I think, is erased by the passing game. That's the point I'm trying to make. Okay. Um, been up since 6 a.m. Ian. Jeez, I'm, I'm trying to put words <laughs> together. Words are hard. So, James Robinson, just to summarize uh, my, my little blurb on him over the injury insights, uh, reports from multiple sources placed Robinson in training camp. They said at, like, some point, literally, like, at some point, that puts him seven, about seven months post-op. The average time for an NFL athlete to come back is 8.9 months. So, I'm kind of curious what they'll do with him. It's not unreasonable for him to, to be eased back in, but I wouldn't be surprised if he actually starts on the pup list. Uh, initially, I, I thought like he'd be back based on that nine month t- timeline. I thought he'd be back like October. Yeah. So, I don't know if this is like one of those Michael Gallup um, optimistic reports or if it's like a legitimate report that he's going to be, I don't think he'll be ready and unrestricted by then. So if he can come back during camp, I anticipate that it's still going to be at least until October until he's like full go like an effective NFL running back. And I'll be really interested to see if that's the case. Like, like I, I just, I don't know if that's going to happen for him necessarily.
0: It is the tough part with this? Like it's a, beat writer telling us like that the team's optimistic about it of course they want to be optimistic about it but man it just gets them into such trouble sometimes like when pete carroll said that like they were fully they put chris carson on ir and the next day pete's like yeah he's gonna be back for training camp though it's like shut up man just take a page out of the buccaneers playbook and say we're not putting a timeline on it we'll see when he can get back a couple other running back things Baltimore Ravens, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, both coming back from ACLs. Sounds like Dobbins, though, potentially a little bit more significant. With that said, the things you mentioned before, you know, age, draft capital, athleticism. Obviously, Dobbins passes all those, uh, you know, checks all those boxes with flying colors.
1: Yeah, the problem with Dobbins is there are reports that he's not. I mean, we're like nine, 10 months out for him, and he's just like catching balls off the jugs machine. So, you'd really want him doing a lot more by now. And what that indicates to me is that he might have had other ligaments involved. When there are other ligaments involved, things just get a little more complicated, a little more sticky. Even more so if there's meniscus involved. His was, I remember his was really violent. So, I would not be shocked if there was a lot of other stuff going on there, that tends to slow your rehab timeline down. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he's behind for his specific injury, it just means he's behind based on averages. So, you know, they've even talked about him coming off of the pup. So all of that is really not great. I think that really drops his stock. In addition to, and I'll let you talk about this a little bit more, like, I don't really know how much passing game work that he's going to get, right? We love Dart, my my like my, my darling uh poster boy is Saquon right because we know he's going to get at least some passing work like we know he's the dude there like I don't know how much passing work Dobbins is going to get which would help to close that gap um so the severe injury the fact that he's still not working out the fact that he might start on the pup list and the fact that we don't know how many targets he's going to get to help close that gap that might be low you know reduced because of the lack of rushing like which even talk about his rushing volume right like I just don't know if I love any of the situation
0: No, that's very fair. I have not been drafting much Dobbins at all because he's one of those guys too where like once we continue to get and I think we are starting to get the negative news and I think he's just going to fall further and further down draft boards. You know, they love talking up his pass game ability seemingly every offseason, but at the end of the day they're a run first offense and what's Lamar do when his reads aren't there? He scrambles, which makes sense. You're Lamar freaking Jackson. Go be the best athlete on the field. Like who cares about throwing the ball to J.K. Dobbins, but it's not just a Lamar thing. We see this with all dual threat quarterbacks and it's a reason why the running backs usually have a hard time getting the same sort of production they aren't getting the check downs and then when they're around the goal line just in general like they're they now have another party taken away eating into that rushing pie so i have done studies to show like When Mike Vick and Tyrod Taylor, like he looked at some of like the LaShawn McCoy type running backs who had an actual extensive history with like pocket passers and with the dual threats. And they average more yards per carry with the dual threats, which makes sense. You can run the read option game. You force defensive ends to stay home more so, you know, being more wary of the quarterback's mobility. But, man, improving your yards per carry by point two, that's not making up for, you know – two fewer targets per game or three fewer rush attempts and all that. So it really does come down to volume. And it sounds like Dobbins might not exactly be healthy enough to have a lot of it. What about Gus Edwards though? So if Dobbins is looking like a potential pup candidate, Gus Edwards is screaming value right now if he's going to be good to go. Yeah, honestly,
1: not even knowing the specifics of Edwards is, is return date, which I think is only, you know, I think it's only like a not even a month separated from Dobbins. As long as he's ready to go by week one, then yeah, I definitely think that he's a guy to, to take. Like I wouldn't expect, you know, this star season from him or like this, you know, breakout type year from him or anything like that. But I think he could be decent with some volume, right? Um, he's definitely the guy to monitor, especially if Dobbins starts on the pup. Then I think that you know, get lock in those first six weeks. Like this thing about fantasy is People, I think, or maybe it's just me projecting, (laughs) they view the start of the season as like, oh, I can just get my feet underneath me. It's like, no, you should probably get as many wins as you possibly can starting week one, like, because you don't know what's going to happen. And I think that Gus Edwards is one of those guys that like, if you have to burn some capital on him, but it'll get you, you know, help you get two, three wins, then I think it's worth it.
0: The problem with Gus is like, he gains like the ugliest five yards per carry ever. And people just like want to hold that against him. He doesn't have, you know, your Javante Williams missed tackle force rates or all these, you know, gaudy highlights. And he's also not going to be catching passes, but guess what? The Ravens like him, and they're going to keep giving the ball potentially 15 times a game. If Dobbins is going to be out of the picture. So Gus bust baby, all he does is average five yards per carry. Like there are anti
1: Javante Williams.
0: Exactly. Really is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is something to be said about Javante. Look, I think Javante is a great running back. I think Tony Pollard um, is a great running back. But I think there is something to be said for the guy. Like, all right, when an offensive coach calls into play and they say, I want this ball to go through B-gap, you know Gus Edwards is taking it through the B-gap. Tony Pollard and Javante, yeah, they bounce outside. They break three tackles and they still get their yards. But, I like, NFL coaches aren't as dumb, I think, as we make them out to be sometimes. Like, there's a re- – We have exceptions, but like, man, just (sighs) Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, these guys don't get enough respect. That's that's So what you're
1: saying is establish a run. It really sounds like you're saying you'd like to establish a run as hard as possible.
0: That's all I'm trying to say here. But, hey, we're seeing right now, man, the New Jersey Generals, the USFL, they've been establishing a run with all sorts of success. So if you want to get more into that, let me know. Next. Next. That's what I thought. James White (laughs) with the hip injury. Everyone's trying to go down this Ramondre Stevenson's going to get fed role. Sacking like Damon Harris isn't going to exist. Personally, I think Ty Montgomery, maybe even Pierre strong. One of these other guys could take that James White role, but just focusing on white coming off his hip injury being over 30 years. You know, I see you shaking your head. Sounds like the list is a very real possibility here.
1: Yeah. I mean, he had the same injury that Ryan Fitzpatrick had and Ryan Fitzpatrick retired. I'm not saying that's the reason, right? But there's no way on God's green earth that the hip injury that Fitzpatrick had didn't play into his retirement. That is a significant injury. That is not quite to a level, but it is a significant injury. Like dislocating your hip is a big deal. Like that does not happen. Uh, you have to be non-weight bearing for a long time after surgery. um, I I hope that he can sort of come back and be ready by week one and put up some numbers, but, like, man, I just don't see it happening. I don't know how – I mean, he's going to have to get some legitimate receiving volume to probably make up for some burst that he's going to be lacking at 30 years old after this hip injury. Like, I hope nothing but the best for James White, but he's just not a guy I'm interested in. He's not a guy that I think is going to have a ton of upside, and he might start on the pup.
0: We always get these, uh, you know, great best shape of their lives reports. And, uh, you know, beat writers, are just, they have so many, many things to do that they can't tell us that. Oh, hey, Elijah Mitchell is actually ahead of Trey Sermon on the death chart. No, oh, hey, Brandon Ayuk isn't even going to play ahead of Trent freaking Shurfield in week one. But thank God we get those, you know, best shape of their lives reports in the immediate uh, time. That's right. We got the one Chiefs report about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire allegedly dropping down to 160 pounds post-gallbladder surgery. Is that bullshit, Edwin? Or is like, <laughs> is that a serious enough injury where like we, maybe – because look, we talked about Baker and Jimmy and writing off last year. If Clyde's serious, which I mean, I'm not calling Clyde a liar, but like clearly he had the surgery like from, from from what you know, like how serious is that gallbladder surgery? And Is it enough for us to be able to look at what Clyde did in 2021 and be like, yeah, not surprised he didn't do that much?
1: So disclaimer, this is out of my wheelhouse. But based on my limited knowledge about what happened to him, I, I think that it's possible that this actually did play a role in the shape that he was in. Did he drop down from whatever he is, like 210 to like 160? I don't know. I think that there's probably some some reality to what he's saying. I don't want to discredit him per se. So I do think that there that played a role. If he got behind the eight ball, then it's – going to be really hard for him to catch up right so i do think there's some merit to thinking to yourself like oh man like if he was in you know bad shape and lost weight and then had to get back in the weight room etc etc like i think there's some merit to that what i would say is you'd hope to see an improvement throughout the season and by the end of the season you'd hope to see a change did we see that and i'm asking legitimately
0: uh not really, because he got hurt again with like a different injury. <laughs> that was the problem. Kind so that also could through. be like, I
1: was going to say that that might be like also something that like maybe that was also that played into yeah. like if he had to get back in the weight room and was injured. So like the bottom line, I know it's a really vague answer. It's like, I don't know. I think it does give you a little bit of hope. If you're willing to bet on, you know, CH and somebody else around that range, then I'd probably, I, he's young enough and he's, he's talented enough to be like, okay, like fine. I just think that the CEH train, like CEH hype train got so out of control (laughs) that we're trying to, like, we're two years later, we're still trying to reel in our expectations. I don't know what to expect from him. Like, that's the bottom line. I think he could be really good. Um, But in a very similar way that this might just be Cam Akers, like, this might just be CEH. Like, it's just might just be him.
0: Yeah, it's never good too when you have guys like Jarek McKinnon coming in. You like have to ask yourself serious questions about like the impact on this. Like, you know, uh, how high are we really on CEH if guys like Jerick McKinnon are making that big of a difference in the outlook? All right, man. I don't want to keep you here for two hours, so on the wide receivers, feel free, particularly once you get the ACL section, just fire off you know some potential timelines with it before we get to go. Before we get to those guys, though. What's going on with Michael Thomas? Uh, this is a situation where we keep hoping he's just going to get out there and be healthy. There seemed to be some encouraging stuff earlier in the offseason, but all of a sudden it's June, still doesn't seem to be out there. And Nick Underhill, um, who, my, for my money's worth, best Saints beat reporter out there, one thing he said was like, if Michael Thomas isn't out there by July, then he will definitely be concerned. It's almost July, Edwin. What are your thoughts on Michael Thomas? I have no idea.
1: 100%. Shit. I have no idea. <laughs> don't know what happened don't know why he's still in rehab don't know why this is taking two years to rehab my on the worst case scenario end of the spectrum he's got legitimate arthritis in his ankle the way that Todd Gurley had it in his knee that's absolute worst case that's totally i'm totally saying that as i'm not saying he, that's going on but that's the worst case scenario that's plausible that's in the cards best case scenario he waited way too long for the surgery which we already know to be true anyway and then needed a second surgery to clean up, or a second surgery to correct the first one. Like complications do happen, right? We usually hear about like, oh yeah, you he went in for surgery and everything went great, and that is usually what great the case. every time, <laughs> every time. And that's honestly like that's that's statistically true. Usually nothing goes wrong with an orthopedic surgery. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes it's not the surgeon's fault. It's not the PT's fault. Sometimes shit just happens. So that could be something that happened with him, right? And he was already behind the eight ball to begin with. So like honestly I have no idea what's going on with him. He's the biggest risk for that reason and I don't unless he's following me in like the eighth, ninth, 10th round at this point, like I would even even with the upside like that I would be hard pressed to, to take him over uh, maybe a handful of guys with like at least legitimate concrete upside like granted they can all get injured at any point, but like at least I know that they're gonna be on the field to start
0: the season. Trying to pull up my underdog exposure right this second. Just making for some fantastic podcast listening right now. Okay. Chris Alave. I can't get it up right now. Chris Alave is either my highest owned wide receiver right what now did you just or say? number two. Chris Alave, man. Before that's that. who we should be drafting. I was trying. Oh, my gosh. Evan, Michael Thomas. I, I saw the video that you quote tweeted, man. Like, this is terrible. He's jumping. <laughs> Great. Like Under, he's doing He's doing one leg jumps. And your point is like, if this is rehab, this is what your tweet was. If this is rehab two years later, I just don't know what to think. And like, that's not good, man. To your point, like this should be probably someone that we are really falling down draft boards at this point, because as much as it sounded like things were okay in March, like here we are and there's still nothing good.
1: No, it's not. And the point that I was trying to make with that tweet was like, yeah, that, and we don't know what else he was doing. We don't know for a fact that, you know uh he's not doing more we don't know that this was in maybe this was in january like we don't know there are a lot of things we don't know right so like i don't want to jump to conclusions but if that video was taken in june you know a year later a year removed from when the surgery was last year he's just now doing single leg box jumps what is going on like he should be doing much more than that so that's sort of what what i was trying to get at there And it just, it goes back to what I, what I love the conversation with. It's like, I don't know, like, I don't know what's going on there. Anybody who wants to take, you know, take a shot on him. uh, Same person that took the shot on James Conner. Like maybe you hit on one or one or two of those and you win a league, but like, that's not, it's not going to be me.
0: Once we're done here, I'll be moving Michael Thomas down the ranks and continuing to move Chris Alave right up. Number one, highest exposed wide receiver, Terry McLaurin. Number two, Chris Alave. Terry McLaurin. I try to tell myself I'm not a Buckeye homer, but then sometimes I look at my ranks and I'm like, ah, I don't know here. What's going on with Will Fuller, man? He, I think I heard someone saying it's like really, really messed up his hand. It seemed like there were some hints last year too, that it could be a little bit personal stuff going on as well. Do you have any thoughts on the Will Fuller situation?
1: Dude, I don't even know how he hurt his hand. It's a broken finger or, or it was a, it was a finger injury and to be 100% honest, my perspective right now is that it doesn't seem that it was a football injury. Like did we ever get a report that it was a football injury? Okay, per you remember.
0: Per draft sharks.com their injury history tool, they're saying hand finger fracture, suffered a broken finger in week 4s lost to the Colts. Hmm. Okay. I'd have so. to
1: go back and watch that. But moral story, it was a very bizarre situation that it took that long. Like his finger must have like exploded. And they had to put it, piece it back together. And that's what I—I I, really I think I
0: heard someone say that that basically was what happened. And, and sorry, I don't have the source uh, for who said. No, that, no, so no. You're good. You're good. Could be wrong, yeah. but w- would that make sense then? Why it's taken so long? If it was like it that would. severe of a break, okay.
1: It would be like they considered amputation. Like they could oh. that's like it would be that bad that they might have considered amputation. An and honestly, that would just fall back under the like the bad luck category. As soon as Will Fuller... I mean, I'm probably gonna load up on Will Fuller. He's the classic dude that like at this point, no risk, like no risk and yeah. no biscuit, right? Like <laughs> just throw him on the end of your bench, see what happens. Maybe he signs with the Chiefs, right? Like that's a best case scenario. Like, imagine if that were to happen. Like, I would love that. So he's literally just, just put him at the end of your benches. Like if, if I could give any advice that's like safe and I think that could benefit a lot of people, just go get Will Fuller, put him on the end of your bench, see what happens.
0: That is good to hear. Always been standing, my guy Will Fuller. Chiefs or Packers, man. I know we say this like every offseason, but you could imagine. T. Higgins with the labrum. You mentioned Baker before and how other than bad luck, it's not necessarily an injury that we should expect to be bothering for the rest of the career. But is it different because T's playing wide receiver and Baker's playing quarterback? <laughs> Um, it's a little different.
1: You do expect a lot more contact for a wide receiver than a quarterback, generally speaking. But it should be something that doesn't necessarily follow him. Again, you can never be too too sure with these shoulder sort of instabilities. If you call it an instability, we know that Dalvin Cook has dealt with his. I would say that it's unlikely that this is going to follow him. Uh, I don't want to say that it's not possible or plausible. So I think anybody around any anybody in your ranks, like around T. Higgins, if you're splitting hairs from a dynasty perspective, then Maybe that's something that you you knock
0: T Higgins for. Sterling Shepard, coming off an Achilles, people just, I've seen some people just kind of forget this or almost like dismiss it, but wide receiver off an Achilles. I feel like this is actually pretty new. Obviously, we saw Uzoma and O.J. Howard at tight end have the issue and a you know, couple running backs over the years. But seemingly, man, everything we just talked about with the Achilles being that much more severe than the ACL, Like it seems like the Achilles would be an even a bigger issue for a wide receiver versus a running back, or am I overthinking it? No, I mean, it's not
1: overthinking it, right? It's just things that seem intuitive that aren't necessarily intuitive. So an Achilles, right? So we we were talking about earlier power strength, you know, being able to push plant cut, do it quickly, powerfully. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need that as a wide receiver, right? So we saw Emmanuel Sanders come back at like 65 years old and was able to operate after like an Achilles tear, right? And like he did well. So it's not to say, and it's not to say again that he's going to come back and be a world beater and be Emmanuel Sanders the way he was, but I think this is something wide receivers can manage because it is a much more of a cerebral position. Like it's a lot more of uh, body control. It's a lot of establishing, you know, your route tree. It's, you don't have to be necessarily powerful. You just have to be quick in small windows, which I think is possible. Uh, after this Achilles tear, you can maneuver and like, you know, look at Keenan Allen, right? Like everybody talks about Keenan Allen all the time, like, I don't think he's like the fastest receiver in the league by any means. Right. I mean, he's he's athletic, obviously, but right. like he doesn't necessarily operate because of his athleticism. If this was somebody like Tyree Kill, I'd say something probably have a different opinion. But we know Sterling Shepard is like the classic slot guy. Right. Like he's going to catch yeah. he can catch like 50 balls for, you know, 51 yards and get you, you know, <laughs> 101 fantasy points in one game. So like I think that this is fine and he's probably not even going drafted, is he?
0: Very, very end of things. It's again with a lot of these guys, it's not so much for them. It's like if Shepard is out of the picture, then we can feel better about Tony and Wandale and stuff. But it sounds like Shepard, reasonable shot to just be ready to go this year. And I did blank on Manny Sanders and the fact that Sanders did that at what 33 or whatever. I mean, yeah, just sure. got a shout out. I loved uh, Manny Sanders had this quote a couple years ago talking about like, um, he was taking he was basically like, I he's like, I am a diva, he's like, I want the ball every play, but it's like. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna go out there, you know, and work my ass off too with that. And he came back. He played 17 games that year. He came back from the Achilles because he got traded halfway through the year to San Francisco, and he didn't even get a yes, buyout. So for him to still go through that, just a true, true um, OG of the, you know, just these you know what Manny players. Sanders got. You know what Manny Sanders got? What
1: he got that dog in
0: him got that dog i i've been waiting for the first time to tweet out the uh, x-ray with the dog in there I'm yeah sure yeah yeah, the yeah right time <laughs> I, I know it's gold it's, it's one of my favorite honestly one of my favorite ones so far so i think it's top it's probably top five over the
1: last several years on my five. It, it's incredible
0: all right i have seven wide receivers with acl injuries i think we've kind of discussed the issues coming back from it already in terms of timeline for these guys feel free to rip them off Chris Godwin, when are you expect him to be back?
1: Chris Godwin, man. Absolute bare minimum timeline for Chris Godwin. Nine months, October 3rd. I don't know where that falls in the NFL calendar. It sounds like it's week four or five. All of these guys coming off of an ACL. doesn't matter where. But when, when you look at their surgery date, their surgical date, not their date of injury, their surgical date, calculate nine months from that date. That is the soonest, most plausible date you will see them come back. And they probably won't be 100% at that time. Uh, OBJ, he came back in 10 months and I think two weeks, right? His first one. You saw Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup had 10 months to come back from his. Saquon Barkley had 10 and a half months to come back from his. Uh, You're seeing that, you know, these dudes need the time. To get back, and the nine months is does a couple of things. And one, it allows them to get their feedback under them from an athletic perspective. Uh, that last th- the first six months of an ACL. Um, I talked to actually one of the, one of my one of my Twitter buddies, who's also an orthopedic surgeon, uh, Dr. Deepak Chona, smart dude. He basically said that there, as an orthopedic surgeon, asking an athlete to come back before the nine month mark is probably not responsible. And he specifically said coming asking them to come back at six to nine months is probably reckless and so it's just not something that you're ever going to see so ahead of schedule reports are complete bullshit. Like you're ever going to see ahead of schedule with an acl when they're four months out like with the michael gallup report right like yeah. he four months post up and saying oh yeah he should be ready you know by seven months so four months post up he just started doing higher level stuff you don't even know where he's going to be in a month so that that's what i have to do with like all these acl guys. Chris Godwin, October 3rd. I have all these timelines if you go to the injury insights tab at fantasypoints.com. Who else do we have? Because I can give you all the. Do you want me to give you, you want me to just, to just shout these out, Ian? Yeah, let's do it. Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup. Great guy that we just talked about. And I, I lost him. It was just now. <laughs> Michael Gallup. We're, we're probably two of the best as planned. Michael Gallup. Base information alone, we could realistically see Gallup mid November.
0: Mid-November. Jameson Williams. Mm
1: -hmm. Jameson Williams. Oh, Jameson Williams was another one. He was ahead of schedule for a long time until he wasn't. (laughs) Uh, Nine months from his surgery date is October 13th. And again, with all these dates, I'm giving you the fastest possible time they could get back. October 13th. John Mechie. John Mechie. Ooh, yes, the Alabama teammate. What What a wild ride that Alabama receiver room has been over the last, like, five years. December 10th was the surgery date. September 10th is the soonest that you could see John Mechie.
0: Okay, that's a little better than we thought. Odell Beckham. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with OBJ.
1: On one hand, you know, previously elite wide receiver in the NFL, now Super Bowl winning, you know, championship wide receiver, honestly was balling out and probably a a legitimate big reason that the Rams got to where they got, which, by the way, talking about players that people were just shitting on, no pun intended, OPJ was one of those guys, man. I was waiting for him to get out of Cleveland because I just was. I was. He was one of those guys I was really rooting for. Like when he won that Super Bowl, man. That like I felt such. Per- you know that um, um that GIF. um it actually I think it's actually supposed to be like implying something negative, but that person with like their eyes closed and they're looking. At, oh, it's Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers. The Philip Rivers. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Except like the positive one, right? Like in a positive <laughs> way. I was like. That was me, like when they when they won the Super Bowl, and like, yeah, uh, uh-huh. I know that he injured in the Super Bowl, but prior to that, like that was me, I was excited for the dude. Um, when it's an average athlete, not necessarily an NFL athlete, you say at least ten months. You say from the surgery date, this is a revision. this is you know, the same knee. It, we're gonna get make it at least ten months. Yeah. I've been saying that he's probably gonna be in a similar position to like um, uh, to a b. it's gonna he's he's probably gonna I mean, Either going to with the Rams, right? Or it's going to be a team that's a contender and has a wide receiver go down, or they feel like they're missing a piece. Like that will be the most likely case for him to come back if he comes back at all in 2022, which is isn't even necessarily a lock.
0: So, it's like we're talking maybe December, like oh late December, late, late December. December. Okay, yeah. KJ Hamler. Oh, KJ Hamler. So
1: I forgot to look into KJ Hamler's surgery date. Do you know what KJ Hamler's just... surgery
0: date was? I just had it up. KJ Hamler tore his ACL in September. It was apparently a grade three. I'm not sure when he had the surgery. Okay. He needed surgery on both the knee and the hip apparently, which is not good.
1: Ooh, that's not great. That throws a wrench in things. So what surgery did he have on his hip? Let's look. So KJ Hamler full speed ahead seven months after ACL hip surgeries, May 11th. 2022. So he's seven months in May, eight months, nine months um in July. With this hip surgery, I really don't know what to make of that. I'd have to look into um into what the hip surgery was specifically. Mm-hmm. So again, obviously, this Denver report that I just opened, of course, says he's ahead of schedule. Of course, it does. <laughs> I don't really know what to make of that. Safely, I would say safely anticipate 10 months from his surgery date, so three months from May, whatever that would be, like August, probably September, um, just to be safe because I don't really, I'd have to look into that a little bit more.
0: Fair enough. Robert Woods, last one.
1: Robert Woods, he is on the fence in terms of being ready for week one. Uh, He's really, really close. And if you count the, the nine months back for Robert Woods, technically he'd be cleared September 1st. Again, that is the soonest plausible time frame. I could kind of, I could see it going both ways. I could see him being ready if it was an isolated ACL by week one, which would put him, you know, nine months and 10 days, right? Which is like similar to what Burrow did, with Burrow's quarterback. Or I could see it being like the OBJ where he comes back, whatever it was, like two, three weeks uh, into the season. But I think that's where, where we're at with Woods. So again, all these dates that I gave with all these guys, Michael Gallup, mid-November, Robert Woods, early September, uh, John Mechie early. I, that was, uh, uh, September, yeah. mid September. I think we talked, uh, Robert Tunyon. I know he's not a receiver, but, um, August, like early August, all these guys, these dates that I'm giving you, Jamison Williams, October 13th. Those are the soonest. So don't go quoting me. Don't PFF, <laughs> whoever PFF graphic guy. I know you're listening. I know you're listening. <laughs> GDI. I know you're looking at this. You're listening. Do not quote me and say that I gave a specific date. These are the soonest possible dates. Could be after, very unlikely to be before.
0: You mentioned uh, Robert Tunyon being August last ACL. I have is Logan Thomas who suffered the injury in December. Sounds like another October potentially. Logan Thomas,
1: um, yeah, man, he came out and actually said like he had ACL, MCL, LCL, and meniscus, oh. which is the meniscus is really what matters there the most, and th- that really pushes your timeline back. So um, his surgery was December seventeenth. So I would not anticipate him back until at least October. I would say October is probably the soonest that we'd see him back. He's going to miss the first month of the season more than likely.
0: Last one. I feel silly even asking you a little bit. T- Taysom Hill coming back from a list. Taysom Hill. Injury. Some people, Evan, some people are talking themselves in the Taysom Hill tight end experience. Coming off the list, Frank, just in terms of him being healthy, do you think he'll be good to go and training to you, you know, you're using the some people pretty loosely. Are you pretty, you're pretty <laughs> I'm asking this one? Who are these? Some hey, people? hey, hey. Is
1: this you? Is this, this Dwayne? I'm not sure. Like, bro, right. bro he goes Tays- like
0: around 14, 15 sometimes. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Taysom Hill,
1: right? Wonder boy, Taysom Hill. Had a list rank in January. Had the surgery in January. The average return in recovery for a list rank is nine to ten months for these guys. Five to six is super optimistic. So he might not even be back until like October late October, early November. That's like the, I guess if you want to call it the floor, like that's the worst case scenario for him. Uh, It totally depends on the type of procedure he had and how conservative or aggressive they want to be with his foot. But I think that he was rehabbing, right, during minicamp. With him, it's going to be, and honestly with all of these guys, what we see uh, with them once they open camp is going to be very indicative of where they'll be by week one. Um, And honestly, like you can reassess at the end of camp, if a dude is purely rehabbing, not doing any on-field stuff during the entire uh, camp period, you can safely assume they're probably not going to be ready for week one. So that very, would just keep an eye on that one.
0: Very good rule of thumb. Uh, graphics guy, make sure you just, again, list all these <laughs> dates out there and say exactly when they're going to come back for everyone. List
1: the, the way I butchered those stats I gave earlier on running backs and wide receivers. Like Put that <laughs> one out there and people will try to read that and still not understand what I was saying. Maybe I edit remember. that out. I don't know. Producer, edit that out.
0: You surpassed uh, my expectations. This was fantastic. Again, people can find you on Twitter at FB Injury Doc. How's the Twins thing going, man? Like, hell, you're not just <laughs> – you're not just – like, you're doing, like, real – I mean, I know you were always doing real shit, but, like, that's awesome, man. Like, how has it been just, like, working with the professional sports team doing this stuff?
1: I'm I'm just grateful, man. Like, it's it's a dream. Like, it's a dream. Every PT growing up is like, oh, I want to work with athletes. I want to work with professional athletes. Like – I can't complain. It's fun. Um, at the same time, it's like high stakes, right? Like you care about like what you're doing and like you understand this is treatment that you're doing is it impacting a person's career, individual's career decisions that you're making, uh, are going to impact what they do moving forward. And, you know, I haven't been here long enough yet to be like, oh yeah, I helped that dude when he was in minor leagues. Now it's going up to the big leagues, right? Like I've had a little bit of that. Uh, I've, I've put my hand in a few things there and then it's super cool to see it on the, on the back end. But yeah, man, like it's a dream. I, I can't complain. Seeing so it's it's interesting seeing some of these injuries that I talk about uh, in this population now, and then like me being like, oh, that's interesting. Like maybe I can write about that. Like was, I'm just such a, I'm a nerd, man. So obviously, I'm the one who now I sent out the the obligatory like let's make a fantasy league text to everybody. So I got a few I've got a few nibbles. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Thanks for asking.
0: Fantasy Points, medical analysts doing great things alongside Friends of the Pod, Scott Barrett, Graham Barfield. Injury-prone is a lie. You heard from Edwin. Again, subscribe to his newsletter, NFL Injury Updates. As he said, stop scouring Twitter and Google for NFL Injury Updates and timelines. It is all right here. Again, subscribe to Fantasy Points. You can get all of Edwin's information right there at your fingertips. Anything else we're to out for chess, my friend?
1: That's it, man. Next time we're here, Dwayne will be here and I'll ask him about his uh, Girl Scout cookie bookie.
0: <laughs> thank you again, Evan. And thank you out there for listening to another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. For Evan, I'm Ian. Thanks as so always for tuning in. Until next time, take care.